Welcome to episode 27, The Truth About the Federal Reserve, an introduction. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you are on Twitter or Facebook and the topic of climate change, tariffs, the government shutdown, minimum wage, or the Federal Reserve comes up, please share the TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Also, if you are listening on Apple Podcast app, please take a minute to scroll down and give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you're feeling generous, please consider supporting the show financially. All donations will be used to expand the reach of the show. See the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for the link. The easiest way to stay up to date on the podcast is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. It is also available on Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. And please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. I have always struggled with the idea and the function of the Federal Reserve. On its face, I know the entity is probably unconstitutional. More on that in the next episode. And I draw a parallel between the Fed and the Supreme Court. I mean, think about it. A nation of over 300 million people have their monetary policy determined largely by a handful of people, the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. Comparatively, we are led to believe that the nine justices on the Supreme Court are the final arbiters of public and social policy for those same 300 million people, despite the Constitution's clear instructions otherwise. Listen to episode 16 for more on this. I read and hear a lot about how bad the Federal Reserve is for America. The cries for audit the Fed continue to grow louder. Inherently, I understand that government intervention always causes market distortions, but trying to explain how the Federal Reserve detrimentally impacts the economy at a level that the average person can understand has proven daunting. But I'm going to give it a shot in this episode and the next. In this episode, I'm going to introduce you to the Federal Reserve, explain what it is, why and how it was created, and finally explain how it creates money. In episode 28, I will take a look at the 100-plus year record of the Fed and explain why it is unconstitutional, walk through how it creates inflation, how it impacts savers and people on fixed income, explain how its policies lead to something called malinvestment, talk about the detrimental impact of federal-aided bailouts on the economy. I'm going to advocate for its abolishment and discuss alternative monetary systems and explain what we are up against in order to make that happen. That episode will conclude with a side-by-side analysis of how a Fedless world would look compared to what the system we are stuck with now. The first thing you have to understand is that the Federal Reserve is a monopoly. By definition, monopolies always take advantage of their unopposed position in the market and purposely charge more for their goods or services than they would if there was competition. I will explain how that manifests itself in the case of the Federal Reserve later. In a sane, Fedless monetary environment, you would not have the monopolistic market manipulation via perpetual zero interest rates, quantitative easing, and the inflationary, willy-nilly digital printing of dollars. Instead, what you would have is a decentralized, market-driven monetary environment where interest rates were determined by billions of independent financial transactions, which invariably would revert to historic levels. The normalized interest rates would encourage savings. These organically saved dollars would be made available to the capital markets in the form of loans made by the banks where the pot deposits are held. And mismanaged firms and too-big-to-fail companies would go bankrupt an important market-clearing mechanism with their assets sold to others who would try to put them to better use. So what is the Federal Reserve and why was it created? 
In a nutshell, the Federal Reserve System is a legal cartel granted a monopoly on the U.S. money supply. It's operated at the benefit of a few under the guise of promoting and protecting the public's interest. It grants Congress the ability to acquire and print money without direct taxation. It was created in 1913. In short, it was formed to quell competition from non-national banks, of which there were tens of thousands. The big banks at the time were losing market share to these newer banks in the West. In 1896, non-national banks made up about 61% of all banks in America and held about half the assets. By 1913, 71% of the banks in the country were non-national, and they held just under 60% of the assets. The big boys did not like competition, so what did they do? They ran to the government to limit competition, forming the Fed. A cartel replaced competition. It's a government-sanctioned cartel, a union of banks, a cartel protected by federal law. So how was the idea sold to Congress and the American people? Well, in a phrase made famous by Obama's former chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, never let a crisis go to waste. First of all, proponents of the Fed spoke about consumer protection and the need to stabilize the economy from bank failures and bank panics. In the years leading up to the creation of the Federal Reserve, there were about a thousand bank failures. Side note, the panics in the 19th century were largely caused by government regulation, believe it or not. See, most states had what are called unit banking laws, which prohibited banks from having multiple branches. So if something went wrong in a local market, that bank failed rather than having a diversified portfolio of locations that could essentially pick up the slack. The second thing that proponents talked about were unstable private banking. You can't have 10,000 rogue bankers out there competing with the big dogs, so you label it unstable. It's brilliant PR. And finally, they argued that for the need of a more elastic money supply. See, back then, the nation was, as a whole was thrifty. They were paying down the national debt. Interest rates fluctuated naturally via the free market. The money supply was restricted by a, a relative gold standard. In other words, a $5 bill was technically redeemable for $5 worth of gold. The argument was that our money supply was too restrictive because it was based on gold and government bonds. It needed to be more elastic, meaning expanded at will with interest rate manipulation. The elasticity would be controlled by, drumroll please, the Federal Reserve, of course. They used terminology like the Fed will be the lender of last resort for solvent banks, which is strange since banks with good balance sheets don't need the Fed. Only the insolvent approach the Fed for funds. Those institutions should be allowed to go under so that they can be acquired by better owners. So this was just a political scheme. The Fed's very existence allows financial institutions to behave badly because they know they will be backed up or bailed out. In order to execute this cute little scheme, they passed legal tender laws which forced Americans, under penalty of prison, to use the paper money created by the Federal Reserve. It's kind of like forcing Americans to buy health insurance. Today we hear how the Fed's mandate is maximize employment and minimize inflation. We will examine its record in the next episode. The basic plan for the Federal Reserve was hatched at Jekyll Island, Georgia, in 1910. Secrecy was necessary because if the public learned that the bankers were scheming to restrict trade, they would have revolted. In addition to convincing Congress that the Fed was being created to protect the public, reducing competition and obtaining a franchise to create money out of nothing for the purpose of lending, 
They also schemed to gain control of the reserves of all banks so that the more reckless ones would not be exposed to bank failure and runs on their bank, and most importantly, get the taxpayers to pick up the risk of the cartel's eventual losses. The people in attendance at the secretive meeting were a powerful senator, the assistant treasury secretary, a partner at J.P. Morgan, a Harvard economics professor, the president of National City Bank, and a wealthy and powerful German-born financier widely regarded as an expert in the European banking system, i.e. the central bank, named Paul Warburg. So there was nothing to see here. Public relations was extremely important in selling the idea of the Federal Reserve to the American people and Congress. They couldn't use words like cartel, or central bank, or bank. They wanted it to appear endorsed by the federal government, thus the Federal Reserve. The name Reserve was carefully chosen as well to make it appear financially sound. They hyped the past bank panics. They explained that they wanted to prevent future bank runs. Can't have people not getting their money back. They played on the ignorance of the American people, making the business of monetary policy too complicated for the average person. They even created a network of multi-regional institutions to make it appear decentralized. Again, I can't help but draw a comparison to how Obamacare was sold to the American people, with repeated lies about keeping your doctor and saving money, talking down the current healthcare system. It's the same playbook, different century. I mentioned earlier that the Fed was, has a monopoly on the creation of money in the United States. In the free market, monopolies do not exist very long. Why is that? Because other, other entrepreneurs see the obscene profits being made, and they enter the market to get their piece of the action. Therefore, prices begin to drop. So how has the Fed behaved with their monopoly power? Just like any other unchallenged monopoly would act, by, in essence, raising prices to whatever levels they want via the printing of money, which results in higher prices for us low-life plebeian consumers via inflation. Who is best served with the Fed's government-sanctioned monopoly? Not the citizenry. Politicians can raise funds without having to do the responsible thing and raise taxes. The bankers who get the money first, and thanks to their fractional reserve system, more on that shortly, they can loan out nine times the amount they get and earn interest on it. It's a scam, folks. Mises.org said this, quote, By far the most secret and least accountable operation of the federal government is not the CIA or the DIA. The CIA and other intelligence operations are under control of Congress. They are accountable. A congressional committee supervises these operations, controls their budgets, and is informed of their covert activities. It is little known, however, that there is a federal agency that tops the others in secrecy by a country mile. The Federal Reserve System is accountable to no one. It has no budget, it is subject to no audit, and no congressional committee knows of or can truly supervise its operations. The Federal Reserve, virtually in total control of the nation's vital monetary system, is accountable to no one. Question for skeptics or agnostics. Shouldn't this powerful entity receive some level of congressional scrutiny? Isn't that a logical conclusion to draw? Why do we tolerate it? Just like the Supreme Court, the Federal Reserve System is yet another example of the many being ruled and dictated to by the few. We are a republic, not an oligarchy. Question for skeptics. How can the so-called wisdom of a few experts at the Federal Reserve be more informed than millions of people performing hundreds of millions of transactions 
and through those millions of transactions, allowing interest rates, the cost to borrow money, to land naturally. Tom Woods said, quote, Prices and wages need to be free to fluctuate in accordance with changing conditions. The price system is the outcome of trillions of buying and selling decisions by business and the public. Central planning fails 100% of the time, yet mankind continues to employ it. Colonist and author Jan John Tamney wrote, What about the Fed's attempts to set interest rates? We quite simply don't need it for that. An interest rate is the price that factors in the infinite needs of savers in concert with the similarly infinite needs of potential borrowers. Interest rates can't be planned. Central bankers couldn't possibly possess even a fraction of the information necessary to credibly set them." End quote. Tammy argues that the banking system itself is largely irrelevant, pointing out that over 80% of all lending takes place outside the banks. As we head into the home stretch of this episode, I want to explain to you how exactly the Fed creates money. The first thing I want you to remember is never forget that neither Congress nor the Fed has any money. In a sane and just world, Congress would be forced to tax the American people to pay for all their shit. However, that's not the case with the Fed. How does the Fed quote-unquote print money? It doesn't really print money. It creates credit that can be turned into actual currency. The primary method used by the Fed to create credit or money is to buy U.S. government bonds. It prints the money electronically and transfers it to the Treasury. But when you think about it, what are government bonds? I mean, they're a promise to pay in the future, printed on fancy pieces of paper with pretty colors. Just like the paper dollar has no intrinsic value, nor does a bond. The idea is to convert debt into money. The Fed takes all the government bonds not purchased by other buyers and writes a check to Congress. It also acquires other debt obligations, but let's just keep it simple. There's no money to back up the check. It's fiat money, plain and simple. Those bonds become reserves to the Fed, or an asset, who now goes on to, to the business of creating $9 for every $1 in bonds on reserve. That's the fractional reserve system. More on that in a minute. Congress deposits the Fed's check into one of the Federal Reserve banks and spends the bond money. The general public receives the additional $9 created in the form of bank loans. Congress and the banking cartel have entered into a partnership in which the cartel gets the benefit of collecting interest on money that was created out of nothing. It's immoral for them to charge interest on money they are not responsible for generating. Congress gets access to essentially unlimited money. Three methods of creating money all entail taking in IOUs and converting them to spendable money. They make loans to member banks at the discount window. That's where the bank goes to the Fed, puts up some collateral. The Fed grants credit at the value of the collateral. So the bank is essentially converting old loans into reserves, which can then be used to lend out $9 for every $1 in checkbook money. They earn interest on the money created out of thin air. These new loans can then be used as collateral with the Fed to do the same thing over and over again. Each new level of debt becomes reserves. The second thing they can do is what's called the open market committee. That's where they purchase treasury bonds and other debt instruments I, I mentioned earlier. The Fed simply writes a fiat check the money makes its way into the economy. If we stopped issuing bonds all the time, there would be no open market committee activity. The final way that they cre create money is adjusting the reserve ratio for member bank. This is where the fractional reserve system comes into play. This is truly an asinine concept. It started with blacksmiths who would hold people's gold and they would issue them a certificate or a receipt to the customer. 
Well, those pieces of paper were often used to make purchases. The blacksmiths eventually realized that they could issue more certificates or loans than the amount of precious metals in their vaults because the depositors rarely withdrew all their gold at the same time. Voila, the fractional reserve system was born. Fast forward to modern day America, for every $1 deposits or for every dollar created by the Fed that hits a bank's books, the bank can loan out $9. That's the current reserve ratio, 10%. Banks must hold 10% of their current liabilities in their vaults, so to speak, rather than loan them out or invest them. How is that justified? There is no way to, that ends well. It always ends in fiat money, as we see in modern America. So I think that's where I'm going to end today's episode. I had to find a nice stopping point rather than publish a 40 or 50 minute episode that no one would want to listen to. So hopefully you have a better understanding of the Federal Reserve, what it is, how and why it was formed, how it quote unquote creates money and the tools it uses to manipulate the market. I also laid the groundwork for episode 28 where we will examine the damage the Federal Reserve has done to the American economy and the American people's pocketbook and savings accounts. Please join the conversation at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. 